Blog Talk Radio. listening to Spiritual Happy Hour on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host today, Jennifer Lajotis. I am so excited to have Dr. Joanna Bird on our show today as we tackle the topic of conflict resolution in children and how do we move as parents from conflict to conversation. And just to remind any new listeners that we have, Spiritual Happy Hour is the show that I, Jennifer Lajotis, do with Janelle Hoyland. And it is a show to teach listeners how to tune into their intuition and use it in everyday life. And when Janelle is on, we talk about all things soul-related. For me, it is understanding the science of the soul. I love to ask questions and understand how to combine who we are on that soul level to how we actually live in the real world or, you know, in the human world. And so, as I just said, it's, for me, it's the science of the soul. Uh, but I wanted to also do a special series on parenting because I believe that, that, you know, parenting is a huge part of people's lives. And I wanted to explore how to become, how can we become better parents? And how can we remain true to ourselves and who we are supposed to be as well as teach our children to remain true to themselves. It, it can be tricky when you've, you've got to teach kids how to, how to live life and at the same time how to shine through to who they are. So I created this series on parenting, and I'm very excited today to have on with me Dr. Joanna Bird. She is a board-certified psychiatrist who specializes in the evaluation and treatment of children, adolescents, and adults. And she has a private practice right here in Green Village, New Jersey. Her training includes a bachelor's degree from Smith College, a medical degree from the George Washington University School of Medicine, a residency in adult psychiatry at New York Presbyterian Weill Cornell Medical Center, and a residency in child and adolescent psychiatry at New York Presbyterian Hospital Columbia University Weill Cornell Medical Centers. Um, Dr. Bird, Joanna, you also had, you did a special um, fellowship, correct, in the parent-childhood relationships, and I'm so excited to have you here. Before we get on to our topic of conflict, number one, I just want to thank you again for coming on, and secondly, if you can just tell the listeners a little bit about what you do and how you came to work with children, because I know you work with adults as well, too, but you, you do also work with children and adolescents. And so, um, if you just welcome, <laughs> welcome today. Thank you. Oh. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, it's very exciting for me. I, uh, I guess to answer the question as to how I, I got to where I am or what I'm doing, um, it really uh, was through my medical school experience. And um, when I did my psychiatric rotation, I got to spend a tremendous amount of time with my patients um, and really, really get to know them. And I felt like there was no other area in medicine where I was able to do that. Um, And then with regard to working with children, um, 
you know, I think that the issues that I was seeing in adults uh, often oriented or originated rather um, from early childhood experiences. And so I felt, you know, if we can, if we can work with children when they're young, uh, perhaps some of the difficulties that, uh, that my adult patients were having would not happen or would be easier for them to manage. Um, so that began my path then. Um, and I do like working with people of varying ages, and I like working with families. Um, and I think that the parent-child relationship is really um, important. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I find it amazing today because we know, I feel like we know so much more about the science of the brain, and we don't necessarily need to get into that today, but it is interesting in terms of for children, and even for early, early childhood, what what they remember, what the what the brain does, the neuro mirroring, mirroring, and all that stuff. What that what happens there for children, and how that anchors the memories. Um, but it was really interesting when I started to review and do research for this show. I was amazed at how common conflict is because I feel like, for my own self as a parent, or maybe parents often do this. Sometimes we think our situation is worse than others, or that other people have it better off than we do, or we don't always have our parenting up to snuff. But when I started to do the research, I started to realize that no, conflict is really, really common. And I came across a quote that said, conflict is like the common cold of human interaction. <laughs> you know, it happens <laughs> often. We, we get it. We, we have it. We don't always like it, but we have to find a way to deal with it. And so I'm wondering how you feel. Do you feel that conflict is as common as I'm coming across? And if so, just what do you think about that? I know that's going to lead us into what we're going to talk about today. Sure. No, I mean, uh, conflict, of course, is incredibly common. And I think um, I think it's interesting, the analogy to the common cold, because I think that sets up conflict as, as uh, negative, um, and often it is. But I think uh, it's worth thinking about how we think about conflict. Um, you know, is it something that is really awful and destructive, you know, or is it something that can be perhaps motivating, growth-promoting, um, and uh, and good, but I think it's yeah, okay. yeah. sorry. No, go ahead. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was always taught from my mom that conflict was actually a good thing. That it gave a relationship a chance to reset. She didn't use the words like I'm using my own adult words, but to reshift the boundaries. And once I learned that, I thought, oh, okay, you know, it just gave each side a chance to to voice their opinion whether you like it or not, and then it went on from there. But um, I'm sorry, you had started to say something, and I kind of launched right in. Go ahead. Oh, that's okay. I mean, just to follow up on what you just said, I mean, in, in that way, it's really promoting empathy, <laughs> you know, being able to have a constructive conflict where you then can understand perhaps um, somebody else's point of view and learn from that um, and potentially not feel as conflicted when a similar thing arises in the future. But um, what I was also going to say is that, you know, we're dealing with conflict constantly. Right? I mean, and if you think about children, um, you know, not only are they potentially in conflict with you or with a, a sibling or with a friend, but they're in internal conflict. Um, they are, as adults are too, but with them, you know, it's newer and it hasn't taken shape and they don't have as much power. So they are dealing with the conflict between their drives towards pleasure and the, you know, the parent or the society saying, wait, you know, you can't just run off and do what you want to do. <laughs> this is where we have to be, or this is what you need to do in order to get um, something that you need. And you have to put aside that, that drive for pleasure or a drive for aggression, or frankly, the conflict between wanting to grow up and all the excitement um, that's associated with that and also still really wanting to remain um, young and cared for um, in, in a way that babies are. So they're constantly within themselves and then, you know, outside dealing with conflict. And that internal conflict is interesting because it's not 
something I think that parents are often aware of or think about. Am I, am I right there? Is that something that parents don't always realize? I think parents can realize that external, they're either not getting along with a friend or not getting along with a sibling or not getting along with an adult. But we don't always think about, I'll call it work, the work or the development that's going on inside and what that must be like for them. And I know you and I talked about on a pre-call a little bit about what it must be like for children in elementary school, especially the older children who are moving into a place in school where they need to learn more more things, not that they're not learning so much in the first and second grades, but more homework. And they've got to sit with the same peers in the same place pretty much for seven hours and kind of be told what to do while at the same time, like you said, they've got these drives to want to go run and play or explore or get up and walk around the room for a minute and they can't. So I don't think adults are always aware of the internal. I think we can, we can see the external, but we don't always see the internal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think we often don't even see the internal within ourselves. And I think as adults, our external life is more, you know, hopefully what we have created. So we have more of a sense of decision-making and power, which kids don't have. Right. So, I mean, in, in that example of the elementary school, they, if they're really quite unhappy with a teacher or um, with a, a, a friend or a, um, another student, it's not like work where you could thoughtfully plan to change jobs potentially, <laughs> you know, um, or, or have an avenue in which you can complain or remove yourself, you know, from somebody uh, because you have constant conflict with them. They don't have that luxury. Um, they're really right up against it. And frankly, the people they're right up against are going through their own level of conflict all the time and have not, you know, achieved a level where they're so sophisticated or comfortable in conveying their feelings or their frustrations. Right, because so I know then as parents, we need to take a look at, at our own selves also and how we thought about conflict or how we handle conflict as we're trying to teach our own children, right? We sort of have to take a step back as well, like, like understand where they're coming from, that they have external conflict and internal conflict, but that can create its own internal conflict in us as parents as we're trying to teach them, correct? Sure, sure. So I think, I think the idea of um, recognizing them is quite separate from us and having their own individual experience um, that may resemble experiences that we've had, but really is theirs and, and quite different. And being able to have that perspective to then provide support, curiosity, um, to help them work through whatever conflict it is they have, whether it's, you know, again, at school with a peer, at home with a sibling or, or with, with, uh, with the parent themselves. Um, you know, I think parents have, we have an idea of what conflict means based on our own experience. And oftentimes that experience then can lead to an expectation of an outcome. Um, and when it comes to conflict, that expectation often can be quite uh, one of harm, um, isolation, uh, destruction, <laughs> and, uh, and that can be kind of transferred onto the child, right? If that's the expectation and you begin to hear about conflict or you're engaged in a conflict with them, sort of red lights go off and the, the expectation is negative. And so if that is what the child picks up on, um, then they don't have uh, potentially the resources to think about it any other way and the outcome may actually end up being um, more, more negative than, than positive. Right, and, and in a certain sense, I guess it makes sense for parents when they start to see conflict. Number one, if, we, if we're, I think from, again, going back to what I said at the beginning of the show, I, I myself, even though I'm surrounded by conflict with just, cousins and my own children and, and just kids on the street. You see it come up all the time. For whatever reason, in my own mind, I never really think that conflict is, 
is is that common. And so when it comes up, it's an interesting thing for parents to, to, to understand when they're witnessing it. I think sometimes we we may all universally feel like it is something that isn't as common as it is. And when I went to, again, in preparation for the show, I started to review my own feelings on why, why do I not realize that conflict isn't that common? And I think some of it is social media for me. Sometimes we see the positives only, and I think that's fantastic. I think social media is a place for celebration, and, and that, that, that there should be a place to celebrate all the good in life. But sometimes I think it can get a little bit distorted, and we forget that um, conflict happens all the time because we're individual people. You know, no one to no, not everyone is going to have the same thoughts or the same desires. And in a certain sense, kids are so straightforward. <laughs> as adults, I feel that we have so many layers to, to and as you said, societal, society's norms kind of in us ourselves trying to figure out, okay, we still need to be polite, we need to be kind, versus what we also really want to do. And I think for kids, they can actually really get down to when they have conflict, they can articulate their needs quickly. How much of it is the parental, as you were saying, parental transference of the parent's idea or fear of conflict or how something should go when it when we're trying to resolve something with kids? Right. So it's so ultimately it's hard to know, right? Um, but. I think that when um, when a parent feels uh, a pang of anxiety, you know, um, that's a sign, right, that they're having an experience themselves um, that's associated to what is happening with their child, um, but really is their own experience. And I think that anxiety may often be associated with the idea that conflict is bad. You know, con- again, the, the idea that you don't have any conflict has to be because conflict is bad. If conflict was thought about as good, <laughs> it, you know, it, it wouldn't be something that we would be denying. It'd be something we'd be celebrating. So um, there, my suspicion is often that um, the, the child is then an extension of the parent and represents either the parent in society, right? So there's the idea of is this, this child's behavior, right, is a reflection on who this parent is or how this parent thinks, et cetera. Um, and the expectation that the outside world is going to react to this child in the same way that the parent expects the world to react to them should they behave in that certain way. Um, and this, this is about, I mean, if you think about the word transference from a psychological standpoint and certainly in therapy, it's this idea of an unconscious redirection, right, of feelings from one person to another, especially those feelings that are retained from important relationships in one's childhood. Um, so in, in that experience, it's growing up, if you've had a really punitive experience with a, a, a parent or an important figure in your life around conflict, the expectation may be that um, that's how it's going to be for this child, um, or frankly, that that should be your reaction um, to a child in conflict. But I think it, it, it means then really being able to step back and reflect um, on what is, what is our stuff and what is their stuff. And that is e- not easy to do, <laughs> right? That's, that, that takes practice and it takes a lot of awareness. And frankly, in a very heated moment, if you're in a conflict with a child or you're witnessing a conflict that feels very uncomfortable, it's hard sometimes to have that perspective. Um, but it doesn't mean that it can't be reflected on later, um, mm-hmm. that you can't, you know, when the emotions settle down a little bit, revisit it yourself and be able to revisit it with your child to be curious really about what happened and what, what the kid was feeling and what they really are able and not always able to tune in, frankly, to what the motivation was or, or what the feeling uh, was about at the time. But to be able to explain your own reaction to it gives them some modeling um, for how to, how to work through um, uh, a difference of understanding or opinion. Right, because again, if you're a parent and you grew up 
in a household where either conflict was avoided or maybe conflict went to an extreme, uh, meaning there was aggression or emotional uh, aggression, if you will, then you may catch yourself having either wanting to avoid or, again, viewing conflict as, as not a great thing. And so in order to catch yourself, you're saying it's not, it's not easy to do so, but if you can, realize in those moments when, I guess, when, when you're ready to say, like I wrote in my intro, you know, knock it off, perhaps those are the times that parents can take a look at the conflict, where, what's triggering that in themselves. I guess at the point where we don't feel like listening or we don't know what to do, there may be something in that conflict that we might be witnessing between two children or, or amongst ourselves and, and a child that is bringing up something from our own past. And then I think it's up to us, if we can catch it, to ask ourselves what, to say, what, what is this? Where is this coming from? Is that what we should be asking if we can catch ourselves? Right. So as you're talking, I'm thinking about, you know, different types of conflict. So, you know, you're, you're at home trying to get stuff done and your kids are quarreling and, you know, knock it off might actually be just the right approach at that time, you know. Um, but, but there, there are times, I think, when um, it gets a little more heated than that. And it could be, you know, that in that moment you're feeling depleted yourself and not even aware of it. You're feeling that you're working so hard yourself and, and here are two people or one person who, who is not pulling their weight. Um, and that burden can then contribute, right, to the level of your reaction um, versus mm-hmm. being able to say what, you know, this is my stuff, what could possibly be happening there and how is it coming out in such, such an um, uncomfortable way. Um, but, right. Um, I, um, I read a book on uh, parenting one time, and um, I think it was Dr. Dan Siegel, and he had a chapter, and he called it Shark Music. And he said the same thing about what we're talking about when you're witnessing something or even in conflict with a child of yours, um, what's playing in the back of your head? And he said, if you're hearing Jaws, <laughs> um, you know, take a look and see what is it that, what what is going on in the back of your head if you can attribute music to it and it feels like shark music, that may be something that's yours. Because again, Joanna, it goes back to what you were saying. If we can view our children as separate people, it feels much more freeing because can you talk a little bit about how, and you already did this, but how that whole transference piece again, when we feel like they're, they may be doing something that would reflect on us, even though it's a subconscious thing for us, um, when really they're separate people just learning. It's conflict, I guess, can also just bring well, about a chance for us to teach, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. And this, the idea of separateness is really important because I think that, um, you know, in order to be separate, you have to think about yourself as a whole being, right? And, and that's the good and bad within yourself, Um you know, that's the idea that you are generally a good person, but you are flawed, <laughs> you know, and, and you, you too have aggressive impulses and are going to make mistakes. And I think when you can really accept that, all of that, the good and the bad about yourself, you can then accept that about your child. And it's a little freeing then that, um, that they are a real person and they're going to make mistakes and, and there's going to be good and bad in them and they're going to have to figure out the balance for themselves and how they interact with others and therefore how they're able to be resilient in the world. Um, But if you can't make that separation, it's very hard to maintain a perspective to be able to help them. Everything has to fit into, you know, them as a reflection of you. So you're all good, right? (laughs) Um, They couldn't possibly do anything bad. They couldn't possibly have any aggressive impulses. They couldn't possibly have engaged in a conflict with another kid at school, right? Um, they couldn't possibly have started this with their, their sister. Or, frankly, you know, you hold on to the good and they have the bad, right? So then they're such a problem. They can't get it together. Why don't they listen? Why can't they just get along with people? What? Um, and it becomes the extremes uh, without that separation. There's not an integration of, of them as, as, as separate people. But when, when you have that yourself, right, you're able to self-reflect. And really that's the ability 
not just to think about yourself, but to view another person in depth, right, and judge the concrete behavior of that other person in the context of the overall pattern of their behavior. Um, so we need to be able to tune in, understand, and tolerate our own feelings as unique to us. So then we can think about others, including our kids, right, as having um, thoughts and feelings that are unique to them and separate. Um, well, it's and, amazing. And, and also without judgment, I like how you said that at the beginning. It really starts with being aware of ourselves, but also that whole non-judgment piece. First of ourselves, I think if we can give ourselves a break to know that conflict happens often, it's, it's a time to take a look, a look at our child, a look at us, and, and to say, oh, look, a time for teaching. Okay, let's take a look here without judgment. Just notice first. Then you can kind well, right. of move in from others. Yeah. Well, it's being it's so. being curious, right? So, mm-hmm. so if you have that that I uh, that sort of integration within yourself and can mm-hmm. think of your child in that way, when they come to you, for instance, with a conflict, it's not a knee-jerk reaction that oh my gosh, the world is coming to an end. Something terrible is happening. I have to jump in. I have to put an end to this. Um, I have to protect them. It can be more curiosity. You know, well, that, the, the idea of that's interesting and let's understand what's happening and think about the other person in this conflict in, in the way that I described as being more consistent over time, right? Um, and is it, what are the possibilities of, as to why they reacted the way they did? And therefore, what are the possibilities as to how your child reacted the way they did? And an opportunity then, again, to teach empathy, to teach a different perspective, um, and, and some resiliency. I think that um, it's also the curiosity is also tolerance, you know, uh, and tolerance is really allowing the existence of something such as a feeling that you might not necessarily agree with or feel good about that may be unpleasant, but you can withstand it. Um, and in that curiosity, being able to hold, you know, these difficult conflicting feelings, either your own or those of your child, and just know that in holding them, there's a sense that things can, will be okay or can un- be understood and there is a way out or a way forward. Um, when there isn't that tolerance, when there's a knee-jerk reaction, it, it can often lead to further conflict or, or lack of resolution. Um, yeah, but you, um, I, I find it so interesting, too, because... I think as adults, when the kids are babies, when children are babies, they're so reliant, and, and parents have to be so used to making every single decision. And then as they move on through six, seven, eight, nine, they start to become independent. And two things I feel like we're so used to, or parents can be so used to making those decisions, you forget that the record has changed. You know, it's, it's moving on. It's they're you know these are now becoming people, real people, even though they were already there in, at age two. But it, it was a different, I, I think it's a different time here. It's, it's, they are really becoming um, able to, to make those decisions and be on their own in situations and then come back to us with stories of what happened. And, well, right, um, and, and that, that in itself is a conflict for us as parents. Um, you know, it's the morning, really, <laughs> of that of that. Um, early infancy time and the the physical closeness and sense of control that you have, um, and the letting go is also it's 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 the unknown and it's a grieving of that time. Um, and of course, you want that for your child and you want them to be successful and be able to separate effectively. But you have to acknowledge that there's some conflict there within yourself um, that may unknowingly, unconsciously get in the way sometimes, and. Uh, and that's okay, and I feel like I didn't answer part of your question before, which is really about the resiliency of children in general and the resiliency of the parent-child relationship, where there, of course, there are going to be moments where you're not cool, calm, and collected. Of course, there are going to be moments where you, you, you may not have handled things the best way that you could have. But the beauty of it is when the emotions die down, um, kids are there, and, and they, you can revisit this with them. Um, and maybe I said that before, but I feel like that was part of your last question to me. No, actually, um, you didn't. And I think that's a fantastic point. And, and one, for some reason, I don't think it's out there in the literature enough in the sense that 
like kids are resilient and, and, and we can go to them and say, perhaps, okay, that didn't go the way I thought it should have gone. Here's what I was feeling, you know, and, and really we can, we can lay it out there and show them, I guess, that we're human, right? You can actually, can you apologize for your tone, you know, and, and, and restate the message to them because I think that's a special important example for them to see uh, on how somebody can, can, can repair something. Yeah, if well, you didn't have a chance right. to really talk about it, this is great. Yes, mm-hmm. but I, but I think that what what that is an example of that ability to admit a flaw, right, is the example of um, that nobody's perfect, right? And so in a conflict, there often isn't a winner or a loser. We we somehow set that up at times, and I think um, that has to do with a lack of the integration of the good and bad within all of us, right? So if you're if you're able to say, hey listen, you know, I'm really sorry, I, I overreacted, or I didn't handle that the best way I could, I've given it some more thought, this is, you know, what are your thoughts? And sure, maybe it, it will ignite a little more aggression in the moment, but you can come at it from a better place that you can model, you know, we can get through this, I can tolerate this, we can tolerate this together, we can problem solve together, and we can, we can move forward. Um, but it's a great model of uh, being very, securely centered within yourself and showing a lot of empathy, frankly, um, for, for the child's position, um, even if they made you angry. Right. And as you said, it teaches them a whole host of things. It teaches them tolerance. It teaches them empathy. And, and it gives, I think, the parent a chance to know that they got in tune with themselves. I mean, even if we're catching a place within ourselves that, we don't necessarily like, or we're seeing something that about our learning something about our own self through our child, we're catching it and then being able to come back and repair. And that was something I had never heard about. It was just not around growing up. I don't remember that piece being out there for repair. And I think that's fantastic. Um, I just want to let our listeners know you're listening to spiritual happy hour on blog talk radio. This is Jennifer Lajotis. We're doing a special series on parenting. And today I have, with me as my special guest, uh, Dr. Joanna Bird, and we are talking about conflict in children and how to take conflict, take a deep look at it, and move from conflict to conversation. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, We're going to listen to My Heart's Desire from from, uh, Mark Stanton Welsh, and we'll be back uh, right at the end of the song. channel of divine 
You are listening to Spiritual Happy Hour here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm Jen Lajotis, your host for today. I'm here with Dr. Joanna Bird, and we're talking about conflict in children and what's really behind it and how to understand it as parents. What do we need to look for in ourselves when conflict is going on, and what do we need to look for in our in our children? And we've talked a little bit about our own feelings of tolerance, our own feelings of self self-acceptance, and being tolerant and modeling that for our children. In the beginning of the show, however, we talked about how common conflict is. So we thought we'd take the next couple of minutes and talk about examples of conflict that comes up and how how we can integrate what we've just talked about into practice. And again, these are just general examples, but to give everyone an idea of, of how, to, how this may roll when you're out with your kids. So... Um, Joanna, I know we talked a lot about conflict in girls and boys outside of the house. So an example might be, I'll start with boys. Sometimes I find that boys, whether they're playing sports, they might be playing sports or superheroes, some kind of game. Oftentimes the conflict is about, like, who's safe? I was safe in that play. No, you were out. No, I was safe. No, I was out. Or... Somebody always gets to be Superman, and somebody else can never be Superman. And so I'm always struck with the fact that, obviously, of course, we're all humans. Boys share a lot of the same emotion that girls do. They, they tend to come home with all those same feelings of either feeling isolated or feeling left out or not feeling like they could share in, in play in the way that they want it to, always feeling like they're always compromising and somebody else is always getting to be the superstar. So if you're hearing something like this as an adult and you're allowing your child to speak, can you tell us a little bit about how to hear them and maybe what to listen for so we can think about what it's like when our child was in conflict without us anywhere near them? So, Right. So... Um parenting is really hard, right? <laughs> right. And, uh, and uh, as a parent, we're, we're always, you know, we're, we're, we're always in the locker room debriefing. We're never on the field in these situations. So uh, we don't have a lot of control and we have to accept that. Um, and, uh, and I think the important thing is when the conflict is presented that we sort of tune into ourselves and what kind of feelings it brings up in ourselves, right? So that's what we talked about in the first half hour, that the idea that if, if the idea of your child having any conflict is anxiety-provoking, you may want to squash it right away um, and get super involved, or you may want to ignore it, frankly, um, because it, it's, it just taps into feelings that are uncomfortable. And either way, your child isn't really building the, the resources himself or herself, but himself in this scenario, um, to, to work oh, wait, wait, Can I stop you right there for own. one second? Um, so when we're looking at what comes up for us, so if we're getting, like, panicked and all of a sudden – for example, like I have one child in fourth grade. I had a horrible fourth grade experience. So let's just say that I'm suddenly having all these questions of, oh, my God, were you left out because of this? And did it make you feel that in my head? Do not share them. <laughs> know that that is no, no. my own but thing. I think what, Let them talk, exactly, right? Yeah. Exactly. And, and it also can be, um, you know, the you can identify very strongly with whatever feeling the child is putting out that the child may not even be able to label himself. So I think the important thing is to kind of take a deep breath, you know, recognize that this is a conflict, recognizing that this isn't easy for him and isn't easy for you. There's no magic answer, um, but you're just going to listen and be curious. And, and the first thing is really figuring out what the child is feeling. Um, so in, in the scenario of being, you know, not being, being told he didn't touch the base or that he can't be, the lead superhero, it's a feeling of being devalued, right? <laughs> um, 
you're being devalued, or and maybe that's not the word you want to use, but you feel less than. You know, you feel like you are the loser. You feel like you don't have any power. Um, and in a, in a way that the child then can feel some validation, and that's calming. You know, it's very calming for somebody to be able to tune into what you're experiencing and put it into words, right? And so then it can be dissected further. And this idea of self-reflection, um, you know, within yourself so that you can do this work with your kid, but also to help your kid be able to do that in in thinking about the scenario, right? Is it your reaction? Oh my God, this is this one kid who's such a bully and he's always putting my kid down and I got to rush into school and get this resolved, right? Or is this, oh my God, he's got to figure this out on his own because I'm not a boy and I haven't dealt with this and he's going to have to deal with his whole life and he's just got to figure it out. I don't think either, either solution is, is, is building resilience. Um, but the idea of working through what the dynamic was, what is it that happened? When was it that you felt this way? Did you feel you didn't have a voice? Did you feel you didn't have any power? What are ways in which you do feel you have power? Because um, there aren't a lot often in childhood, and that's why kids play out these, these dynamics. The other thing is getting it away from the winning and losing, you know, um, because cause that's, that's also the idea of, of integration, right, that, that there isn't always a winner and a loser. There may be in this particular game, but there'll be other opportunities. And in the end, everybody kind of wins and everybody kind of loses. And that's not to, to disavow the importance of competition um, and setting yourself apart, but maybe there are ways then in decreasing the emotion that can be talked about with this child in ways that he is more powerful, in ways that he does feel he has the upper hand or a little more expertise. Um, that can just ease the blow a little bit and prepare him then for the next time that it doesn't feel so conflicted if he does it, if he's out or if he doesn't get to play the lead Superman. You know, I, I love this too, because again, it shows them back to what we were saying in the very beginning. If we can hold our own feelings and we may look, we may not have huge, a uh, huge problem with what's being presented, but I'm just saying in case we do, we can be aware of that for ourselves and then really get down on their level emotionally and really hold that space with them that can help them I guess hold their own truth and really know that they're heard what you like what you said in the beginning they're valued like I guess what you're saying everything they didn't get on the playground they're getting at home they're heard they're valued they can calm down then they can think about different memories maybe that they had with you know how, how to be resilient and then come up with their own plan or decide oh it's not a big deal. It's over. Right. I just needed to get this out right. to mom or dad or my grandmother or whoever, and I'm done. Because I well, think that's another piece, too, or maybe it's not, but do parents also sometimes act like elephants and have a memory for, well, last Monday on the playground, so-and-so also did this to you. And then we've got this whole piece of on the playground where they might be over it. They just needed to get it out, name it, feel it make a plan tomorrow or figure it out. What do you right. think about that? Right. I know I agree. And look, that's not to say um, that there isn't bullying. That's not to say that there right. aren't, you know, there isn't violence and there aren't things that we must, must intervene with. There should always be a sense of safety. If that's jeopardized, that should, needs to be dealt with by adults. So, so I don't want to undermine that, but I think we, um, we tend uh, to be uh, in society more of a have a knee-jerk reaction than sort of the patience to listen and understand and and um the other side of this too is that thinking about your child um not just as the victim <laughs> you know but as you begin to talk about other areas of his life you you he may get in touch with times when he actually is <laughs> you know leaving somebody else out or exerting some Correct. of his own aggressive drive or, you know, putting Correct. his own sense of pleasure out or getting, getting some pleasure out of keeping somebody out. Um, but I think that that's helpful because again, that's the integration, right. Um, uh, that's useful to be able to compete, frankly, <laughs> and be able to put yourself back out there um, and, and not be either terribly intimidated and victimized or become a bully yourself. Yes. Yeah, it's interesting. When I was a kid, my brother, I used to come home to my older brother and say all these things, and, and he would go, well, so like, so-and-so did this to me. He would go, well, so what? What do you care? In terms of meaning, he was older than me, meaning, come on, it doesn't, does it really matter what he, what he thinks? You should know what you think. But again, I, to echo what you said, 
there are times where things can go over the line and, and, and where if something sounds like intimidation or a child is being hurt in any way, whether it's emotional or the other, of course, parents should always go ahead and seek help and, and, or, you know, seek someone to ask and investigate further to then right, know if right. they need to get help. But, um, uh, right, because but the other the other thing, the other thing that we have to remember is that like the locker room example, we are not on the field. <laughs> now, right. you know, as in in with school age children, we're not. You know, um, we're not on the playground the way we were when they were two, and we could see that that kid took their toy or or pushed them over. Um, all we have is their self report, and of course, you want to see your child in a more idealized view that they would not be aggressive, that they would not instigate something that, but we don't really know. And, and frankly, all these kids are, are trying to figure it out together and for themselves. And the likelihood is that, that there's more going on than we realize. Um, on, and I don't mean that in, with regard to a level of, of uh, anxiety in in the playground or aggression, but just inside the child, um, and that's worth keeping in mind as well. Um, and that's hard to do. It's very hard to to be able to hold that sense of your child as both good and bad, and that they're seeing and bringing things to you with a certain lens um, that needs to be validated, but then deconstructed a bit. I think right. Yeah, no, definitely, and, and, and I agree. What one child may see as something that they themselves can't tolerate, and they may not have those words to say it, you know, in, in what another child is doing, that's like, like one child A could hate what child B is doing, but child B could also hate what child A is doing. They could both be mirroring each other, and, you're, and both parents are getting this, this one, one-sided story where, yes, right. there's, always, there's always more to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. right. And, and, and I agree. Or, it's yeah. hard as a parent uh, to 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 know that. But again, it is definitely real world. Um, okay, why don't we do this? We're going to take just one more break. We're going to go ahead and and do in the beginning. That's the song from another song from Mark Stanton Welsh. We'll play that, and when we come back, we're going to have another small segment where we're going to wrap up a little bit and talk about. I'll give you an example of a parent child conflict and then have a little bit of time for a wrap up. This is Jen Lajotis and Dr. Joanna Bird on Blog Talk Radio Spiritual Happy Hour and we'll be back after this song.
Um, we're back at Spiritual Happy Hour. This is Jen Lejotis, and we are just going to give another example. We're talking about conflict resolution with children, and I'm here with Dr. Joanna Bird, and we're going to give a second example of conflict that that may be familiar in, in some people's houses. It's summertime. Kids are home and there's a lot of unstructure. And so a typical conflict in anybody's household could be TV time. You know, I get to watch the movie. You always got to watch the movie first. And I'm going to ask uh, Joanna, if, you, if you're witnessing this as a parent, what do you do? <laughs> you know, and, and, and of course also, Give me your take on why is it happening. I mean, I know there's millions of reasons as why it's happening, but, you know, summertime is unstructured. I would love to, to have your thoughts on that one. Yeah, so I think um, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. It's a big question. Um, summertime in particular, but I, I think that that kind of conflict between siblings is common all year long, and in the summertime it can just seem so much more unbearable, I think, to parents and, and more likely to happen because, as you said, there's lack of structure, um, there's potential boredom, you know, kids, um, kids are looking to, for activation and stimulus. Um, and frankly, there are benefits to siblings arguing. I mean, siblings are incredibly important people uh, to one another. They are really, you know, a model of a, of a mostly peer relationship. Um, and they can learn empathy. They can learn competition. And sometimes even some physical contact, even if it's some, you know, rustling around, not real violence. Um, but that kind of intimacy can be really useful in, in even the idea of being separate, like where your body ends and mine starts. Um, so there's, there's normalcy to it. I think, though, um, what's really hard for parents um, in maybe summertime more than any time is, is the fact that our lives don't stop, right? I mean... We don't get a summer off most, you know, most people. And even if you do, frankly, you're responsible for, um, when I say you don't get everything around the house, you're responsible for everything, right? (laughs) Everything, laundry, Um, food. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So, so I think it's important to, to tune into the fact that when you hear this kind of arguing, um, it can trigger tremendous rage because you're so envious. And, and frankly, I think that that's, something in the parent-child relationship that isn't talked about enough, and we could probably do a whole show on it, um, yeah. but envy is a, is a very real feeling. We all experience it in, in many relationships in our lives, including our children, and I, and I think that it's at the heart of those statements that people make about, you know, when I was your age, I walked, you know, uh, uphill, five feet of snow, um, because it's envy for what, for what your child has and, and doesn't appreciate or can't appreciate because they haven't lived your life and haven't had your experience. Um, and there are consequences to envy then in that um, it brings up aggression. And, you know, sometimes as a parent, if we can, if, if, we, if we act on that envy without being aware of it, we can actually um, be uh, a little more aggressive potentially than, than we would like to be. Um, but again, I feel like I could, I could talk about that in other aspects of the relationship in observing your kids having a conflict. Um, I think you got to give them a little bit of time to see if they can, they can work it out <laughs> um, because they may, now it may continue to escalate, but you also want to be important not to, not to split your kids into all good and all bad, um, that likely it takes two to tango and there was something that happened, you know, between the two of them that led to, to um, whatever the squabble is at the moment. And frankly, being able to share at some point, maybe not at that moment, but later, you know, your, why you, what your feelings are of, you know, them fighting when they have so many other opportunities or et cetera, um, can be helpful in, in, Showing empathy, then learning empathy um, uh, from your perspective right. or even from each other. Yeah, again, they're separate from you, and if you can if you can walk backwards and, and note that they're again separate from you and they're having their own issue. But it is interesting if if one tells on the other. Of course, back to what we were talking about with friends, the one telling is 
is always going to give you the the fantastic thing that they were doing and the and the worst thing that the other sibling was doing, which again, this could be a whole show in and of itself. But you're always going to get the rosy picture from whichever child is reporting to you, or if, like you said, if you're just witnessing it, I love that you're saying take that step back and let it go if you can. If there's no harm, you know, emotionally or physically, of course, let them let it run its course, and and I guess walk into another room. So, you know, you don't, it doesn't bother you that much, but when it runs its course, it gives the parent a chance to calm down if they were flustered. And then, as you said earlier in the show, ask with curiosity, what, you know, come on, guys, what's really going on? And, and show that empathy. Um, the envy piece is very interesting. And again, it could be a whole show. Uh, I agree. And I love how you said, that the times when we catch ourselves saying, when I was your age, is probably a window into our own empathy. I, I, I think that's really fascinating, well, and I think it's, it's really it's, true. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, one, it's actually wanting their empathy, but I think it's a window into our envy. Um, yeah. And, it, uh, it's, yeah. And, yeah. It's like, wow. Know, we can the, – the, the issue with, with not – I feel like um, in summary with this show, it's really about awareness. And I think that um, if you are unaware of a lot of your own conflicted feelings, it's hard to envy your child. That's a conflict, right? You want to love right. them and do everything that's best for them. And also at the same time, you envy them. That's a conflict, right? But if, so if you're, if you're aware of that, things don't get enacted, right? If you're not aware, we can very easily enact ways to, to decrease a level of a feeling, um, and envy is one of those. So if, if we make a child's experience similar to what ours was, both in a loving way but in a negative way, we can actually relate more to that child. And that's not intuitive <laughs> to think about, but it is rational. Um, right. And so being, right. you know, being aware of that, you know, if I had a, had a really – difficult experience and then my child's a really difficult experience, I can relate to that kid <laughs> and potentially feel love for them more fully if I'm not aware of the fact that I, that I envy them. And is it possible to envy them and also really um, uh, love them at the same time and not have to act out? You can speak it, you know, more than acting it out. Yeah. No, you, I, um, you bring up such fantastic points for us to really think about and, um, yeah, I can't thank you enough for coming on, on the show. I mean, you taught us, like, conflict is common. There's more than external going on. We've got to look. In order to handle the external, we have to look inside of ourselves, find out what's going on with us, what emotions are we feeling, what are we bringing to the table, so to speak, and, and find out how we, can be, how we can view our children as separate from ourselves to provide them with empathy. And, again, we're human. <laughs> Right. We said also at the beginning, this is this is this can be tough stuff. We've got to give ourselves a break, you know, and, and be non-judgmental towards ourselves. And then, of course, if something doesn't feel right and feels beyond just regular conflict, then of course that's a, a time to to seek to seek help in some way, help, shape, yeah. or form. Yeah. And so, um, Joanna, you're working out of New Jersey, um, Green Village, New Jersey, in your practice. And, um, you know, I thank you so much. I don't know if you want to say anything else um, to sum up, and then I'll give a few uh, um, announcements from the show. Uh, no, I just want to thank you for having me on. I feel like we, we really touched on a lot. Um, so uh, I hope that it's helpful. I hope it's relatable. Um, and, and your point about, you know, we're, we're all human and have to give ourselves a break and just allow ourselves the time um, to, to think things through and get perspective and, and mirror that for our kids. Yeah, no, definitely. It's definitely a journey. Well, thank you again for coming on. I want to tell listeners, I'm on once a month. I'll be on, I think, August 17th is the next show. And you can catch Spiritual Happy Hour on radio, obviously on Blog Talk Radio. You can also find us on Facebook at Spiritual Happy Hour. We've got a website, uh, spiritualhappyhour.com. You can catch us on Twitter under Spiritual Happy H. And you can um, take a look at our book. Janelle and I put a book together of our first 10 shows entitled Spiritual Happy Hour, A Double Shot of Bad. Bad stands for Being, Allowing, and Doing. And it is, 
as I said, the first 10 shows put together in the book and what we learned from doing them together. So you can get that on Amazon.com and um, tune, up, tune back in. And I want to thank you again, Joanna, for coming on. And um, I want to wish everybody a terrific day, and we will catch you next time on Spiritual Happy Hour. And I'm going to roll it out with Mark Stanton Welch. Here we go. To stay true to my dream, I must stay open. And I'm Here's my heart's desire.